0: Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Dylan Carnevale and I'm the Browncroft staff and producer of the show. I'm joined today by our host, Peter Englert, the Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, the New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. And today we have Tricia Smith. She's our Senior Director of Family Ministries here at Browncroft. And we're talking about the topic, Why God Why? Is my family so dysfunctional? Wow, Peter, I don't think we could get a more appropriate topic uh, for everybody that really applies to everybody that's listening right now. Why is my family so dysfunctional? You know, unless you were raised by robots, um, and I did watch a movie recently about people that were raised by robots, that was even dysfunctional. So I'm I'm just going to take that right off. Like, we're all raised in a dysfunctional family of some sort. What do you think about this? What's your thought?
1: I'm just going to tell you one thing. Yeah. My wife's a mental health therapist. Right. Every time my dad sees her, mm-hmm. he says, Robin, just before you publish the secret thesis of the Englert family, make mm-hmm. sure I can read it. <laughs> so, you know, there we go. There you go. That's all he requests. That's, that's all he nice. you know, that's all he requests. But, you know, I, I've been thinking about this question a lot. Um, I've read a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety, Steve Cuss has his own podcast on it. And he talks about family systems. And the reason why I'm so excited about our guest is she's not here to tell you how not to be dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. I think she's here to say that you can actually grow from the dysfunction in your family. Because I think for most of us, we don't want to live lives that we're, constantly coming back to the same patterns, same pain. So I look at Tricia working here at Browncroft. She just came on staff. She has a a very powerful story that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to. And I think that she's going to shine some light on how this question doesn't have to be a barrier, but it can be an opportunity.
0: I love it. I love it. And I'm excited uh, to have a discussion with her today. So welcome, Trisha. Great to have you here with us. Welcome to Why God Why.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's start from the top, if we can. I guess that's an appropriate place. You know, uh, your own life story. Do you have any, you know, experiences with dysfunctional family or was yours yours is fine? Yeah,
2: mine was perfect.
0: Great. Okay. Um, well, then let's just we're move done. on.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, clearly, um, my story is not perfect. Um, I do come from dysfunction. I, I am in, um, a family role now where I'm sure I contribute to dysfunction. Um, but I will, um, just start from when I was a young girl, I was, um, raised in the church, which I'm so grateful for. Um, my parents were not happily married. I don't know if they ever were, maybe, um, pre-kids. I'm not sure, but from my memories, I remember having, you know, happy times, but I don't remember my parents, um, being happy together. Um, so that led to divorce, um, and it was a pretty messy divorce. I think I was about nine years old when that happened. And, um, the main reason why it was messy, I think, now looking back, was really because of the way the church handled it, which mm. is kind of disappointing, um, you know, looking back on that now. Um, I was able to share with um, the small group leaders and family ministry here that um, when my parents got divorced and I was a young child, the church, no one reached out to me mm. as a kid after that happened. Um, so, you know, that's a, that was a big, I think, gap area for the church. And, and, and that was my experience. That's not everyone's experience. Um, but it was looked at, you know, my mom left my father, um, for what were good reasons. Um, but the church was not ready to accept that or, you know, admit that there was dysfunction happening, I think, um, you know, within the family.
0: Yeah. So can can we push pause on that real quick? Because what you're just describing, I know a lot of people can relate to that story and you being nine and going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was there like, how did that experience within the church affect you personally? So if you can kind of bring yourself back to being nine, mm-hmm. you know, and this is all going, your world is collapsing around you. Yeah. And you're watching the church not deal with this in a healthy way how did how did you process that in your life?
2: Yeah, so um I held on to a lot of anger. Um, I was angry at my dad for you know, not being the best husband he could be. I was angry, I think, at my mom for not being able to figure out how to how to work it out. Um, I was angry that we were gonna be a split up family and what was that gonna look like? Um, I and I was angry that after this happened, I didn't have um, the church experience that I had previous, and and I hadn't changed. You know, nothing I had done had changed, so I couldn't really understand why that had to change for me. Um, I needed, I think, other adults in my life at yeah. that time um, who could speak into my life, and then that that part of it was gone. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think there was a lot of anger. The one good thing was, though, I had the foundation. I knew I wasn't ever angry at God, mm. and I'm just so grateful because I know a lot of people do turn it onto God. Um, for whatever reason, at that young age, I could separate who God was from who the church was, and I'm, I'm just really grateful for that because I never, never, um, lost that. I never had to kind of repair that with God.
1: So that's, that's fascinating. And I I guess before we go further with your story, because I think a lot of people relate, I meet a lot of people that when we say things like God is our father, you know, and I think it's in Isaiah, you know, God is this mother hen and I, I guess, how do you think about that as children of divorce? Because it's like, I know the ideal, and I know what God's supposed to be, and this figure that's in my life. I don't know. Just, I'd be curious how you, because you're you're basically saying God and you seem good. You could see that people were jacked up, but did that ever change, or did you ever have that point of view?
2: I don't, I never really did. You know, I didn't always walk with God, but Mm. I never saw it as him abandoning me. Mm. I saw it as my choice to go my own way and do my own thing. Um, My, you know, so I never turned that around um, on, on him. I know that there's many people who have struggled with that. Um, I'm not you know, I don't even really understand why I wasn't mad at God, except for that um, I could see the dysfunction happening, and and in my young brain, I could tell that God was not in the middle of it. Mm. You know, I could, I, even with the church thing, you know, that was not... Um, God leading them to kind of ostracize us as a family because of our dysfunction or because of what was going on. That was separate from God. And I just, I I mean, I remember being baptized. I, I just had a very real picture of God's grace at a young age. And <clears throat> I don't know how to explain that, except for I've always had this um, childlike faith. No one had to convince me. I always knew he was there. That doesn't mean, though, that um, I always took advantage of that.
1: Sure. So, so bring us. That's super helpful. Bring us to, like, high school and college, and kind of what happened with the dysfunction of your family and your life, and just, you know, kind of where that led you.
2: Yeah. So, um, I as I grew, um, I I didn't have you know that church family anymore. Um, In sixth grade, my father was remarried and what happened with that relationship was that all of a sudden I had older brothers and sisters, which I never had before. And so um, I I would go over there every other weekend and I was exposed to things as a younger child That I should not have been exposed to because I had older siblings now that were not raised um, the way that I had been previously raised. And so um, I was exposed to drinking at a young age. I was exposed to um, male female relationships, sexual relationships at a young age. Um, So, so my my path was taking a a different journey. And so I did have friends at home that weren't, you know, not exposed to those things. But then when I would go on the weekends to visit my dad, I would be, it would be like a completely different world. And so some of that started to play out in who I was becoming. Mm. Um, I was, you know, I didn't make the best choices in high school. Um, I think I was looking to, feel kind of that, um, you know, when your parents get divorced, they talk about how you try to, you fill this spot for love that you you feel like maybe you don't have. So I was looking for love and there's a song yeah. in all the wrong places. Um, yeah. And so I made a lot of bad decisions. I was a really smart kid and I didn't have to try real hard in school which could have been a real disadvantage for me because I could do all, you know, the party scene and other things, um, while pretty much staying on top of my grades and, and doing okay there. So there wasn't a lot of red flags for people. Um, and then I just continued on that path. I always, you know, I I always knew God was there. I still prayed to God, um, but I felt like I was kind of. Pulling myself up by my bootstraps, kind of in control of my life, had to be in control because of, you know, my parents were doing their you know, figuring out their own dysfunction, and so i'm gonna I'm gonna be in charge of me instead of really surrendering. Um, and so I went off to college and at twenty one years old, uh, became pregnant. Uh, living in Virginia um, with a couple of roommates, uh, great friends that are, you know, still my friends today. Um, and then it was like the world stopped. That was the thing that really got my attention at that moment. Finding finding out that was like, okay, something's going on. This was not the plan I had for my life. Uh, thought I was in control all this time. And now, you know, the big realization, yeah, you might be in control, but your, your choices you're making are not very good ones. And, and here we are.
1: So let's, uh, let's kind of, there's a pattern kind of in your life of, and again, I'm, I'm curious if this really is a pattern. Um, so churches in the past, they're not really good sometimes with divorce, how to respond. Um, And then, you know, they look at a a child like yourself, and I'm not sure if anybody really reached out to you, said, hey, how are you doing? And now you're pregnant, and you still believe in God, and you still kind of think the church really isn't living out the message. And then, oh, by the way, you have parents that, you know, even the best divorces are dysfunctional. You know, fill us in how how is everybody responding? How are you feeling? Was there a moment that people came together or was it a mixed bag of people? I mean, who are your supports who were there for you during that time?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, as a child, no matter how old you are, you never want to disappoint your parents. So knowing that I had to make that phone call home was um not ideal. <laughs> um I had roommates and of course they were the first people that I told and you know they were lovely and supportive with their words but you know they weren't pregnant and they were 21 and they were in college and their lives you know weren't immediately changing so um so I knew I had to to call home and and really call my mom because that's who I was you know closest to and um, what I did, I did the old, um, warning phone call. (laughs) So I called her up and said, um, I have something that I really want to tell you. I'm not prepared to tell you right now, but, um, let's, let's find a good time to talk and, and we'll talk about it next week or whatever. So, you know, (laughs) I was hoping that she'd think of, you know eight horrible things that it could be and then this would be one of the least <laughs> horrible things on the list um
1: if your daughter did that to you what would you do
2: good <laughs> question <laughs> she probably has i'm thinking yeah. i cuz cuz i has.
1: i know as a parent i'd be like i'm driving down to virginia right now
2: <laughs> well here's the thing that happened um <laughs> So not, not right that moment, but I did call my mom and I told her and she was a beautiful picture of grace to me. Um, there was no, um, there was no shame and, and, um, telling me all the things I did wrong and it was okay. So what are we going to do now? And how can I help you? And really, I was very headstrong and, and full of pride. And I was like, I've got this. I'm, I'm good. I've got a job. It's going to work out. Um, but luckily, my mom knew me enough to know that um, I needed to come home. And so she called me maybe a day or two later and said, um, your uncle and I are coming next weekend. Just have your stuff packed and, you know, we'll get you home. And I said, OK. Mm.
1: Wow.
0: Wow. So was her reaction to you different than what you anticipated?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a people pleaser. I I think, you know, although I was doing a lot of those things in high school, um, my parents didn't necessarily know. I was really good at saving face. And like I said, I was keeping up grades. And so there weren't a lot of huge red flags in my life that I wasn't, you know, staying on the right path. So I was pretty good at, you know, kind of keeping it on the DL and making sure, you know, people thought everything was good.
0: Right, right. So essentially you hit a spot in your life where it was like, wow, all the things that I've done to maintain my image, now they just aren't working anymore.
2: Yeah, there's no way. I mean, this is not something that is going to, going to be hidden
0: right yeah right yeah and I think a lot of people can identify with that you know and I think another thing they can identify with is your feeling of being one way one place one way another place I I, that's me my story a lot of my life was lived that way of like being one way around one group of people being another way around another group of people Yeah, you know and I've, I've heard someone talk recently about this that essentially that's a recipe for depression because you can't live that way for your life. Yeah. So in a sense, now I I know this, I know this is kind of a, a weird thing to say, but was it almost a relief that you had hit this spot in uh, your life?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and I don't, you know, I don't know how to explain that either, except for that um, I was running in a hamster wheel that I knew had no end. And this was the thing that got my attention and said, okay, stop, step out of the hamster wheel. You're not doing this anymore. So, yeah.
1: I want to kind of, before we, I mean, there's definitely a happy ending to this, but, you know, you kind of hinted at, you know, being a child of divorce, you're always trying to fill that void. How did your family dysfunction, you know, just, I I don't even want to say probably the better word than motivate is influence you. Like, as you look back, you know, what were you seeing some, whether it's patterns, whether it was just lies that maybe you believe, but, you know, as you kind of walk back from that moment when you were 21, how did, you know, growing up in this home of divorce kind of affect you?
2: Well, I think like John said, I was trying to be different people to different people, I didn't really feel like I did. I don't even really know if I knew who I was or what mm-hmm. I wanted. I was trying to morph and fit into the environments around me um, and not really thinking about wait, w- what is the environment I can create or what is the environment that I want to be around? I, I kind of felt powerless in that, but. The power that I gained from that was being able to morph into those um, those different environments mm. and not rock the boat. Like, I didn't want to rock the boat. And I, you know, I wanted um, acceptance. I wanted um, to be seen as, you know, the good kid in everybody's eyes, um, whether that was through my mom's eyes, who was really, you know, concerned on you know, school and grades, or if it was my dad's eyes, who was more concerned with, um, my extracurricular activities that he would come to, um, I was in music and school plays and things like that. And, and those, you know, if, if you didn't have like a lead role, it wasn't important kind of thing. Um, and then as my family pulled apart, I really wanted to fit in with my friend group. And so what are my friends doing and, and, you know, where am I going to go with them? So mm. just really, um, not at all sure of who I was, I think. So how
0: did you let, us let's, let's go back there. Then you're, you've hit this kind of low spot for yourself. How did you start to, to go, okay, let's, let me internalize this. Did did you consciously think through like I don't want to repeat the same dysfunctions that I've grown up in or were you just kind of just trying to swim and make it through at that that point in your life?
2: It's amazing that at that point in my life this this unexplainable peace came over me. Um I think it was um m- more chaotic and confusing before I found out I was pregnant because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't, um, have a purpose or a vision for my life. Now I have a person, um, that I'm responsible for. And that became my purpose and my vision for my life in, in that time, um, which was something, you know, rather than grasping at a million other things. Um, and it was, you know, I might not have been able to at that point see that I needed to be saved, but I could put that energy into somebody else. Mm. And through that, it's it's helping me and saving myself, but i'm I'm focused on somebody else at this point. Um, so I you know, God used, you know, this situation in my life to really point me back to him because I knew, you know, whatever dysfunction I went through or not, that um, I could not do this on my own. I could not do this um, by fitting in to somebody else's idea of who I was. And um, it really, this was the thing that drove me to my knees and really said, God, I am not in control. I have not been in control this whole time. And I, I just really need you.
1: So let's, um, <clears throat> cause we have some other questions about family dysfunction, yeah. but let's kind of push a little bit forward. Um, you are the senior director of family ministries, not senior director of dysfunctional, maybe. maybe well, they... I think
0: that's kind of assumed, dysfunctional family
1: <laughs> ministries, I think. Dysfunctional. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, tell us how you kind of landed there career-wise. And even as we think about this topic for today, you know, what was, you know, what was inspiring about that? What were barriers? What were challenges? What were opportunities?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I was... Being educated in the communications um, arena. And so when I came home and um, had my baby girl, Casey is her name. Um, Hi, Casey. <laughs> she's 24 now and married. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, but when I came home, you know, I immediately found a job. That's that's kind of was in my personality where I could, you know, figure something out. And I um, got a job at a manufacturing company, and you know it wasn't something that I loved to do, but it was something that I did um, as Casey got a little bit older, I felt like I could look for something more that maybe would be more rewarding to me, so I was doing the job thing because I knew I had to I knew I had to have benefits and you know all the things that you need to have when you have a child um so I did start working at Thompson Hospital. I was the um human resources coordinator there, loved the job. It was really right up my alley, lots of people. Um, And my husband, Donnie, and I got married during that time, and we had our second daughter, Molly. And um, this is where, you know, it doesn't matter – how many things are going right in your life? You, you think you know something about being a parent or being in a family, whatever. And then, yeah, it all blows up in your face. Um, because I thought, well, you know, Casey did great in daycare. She'll be fine. I'll be able to continue working. And I ha- we had Molly. And Molly, um, I would drop her off at daycare every morning screaming. And then I would pick her up every day screaming, um, you know, for about f- six months. And it was really um, (laughs) very upsetting to me. And I knew that um, something had to change. And at this point in my life, I had a great adult small group around me, and we would talk about it. And I said, you know, I feel like God's calling me out of my job, but I'm so mad at him for that (laughs) because I really like my job. And I'm not—I don't really see myself as a stay-at-home mom. And um, anyways, I— was obedient and left my job and immediately jumped into volunteering at church um, because I just knew I know myself and I needed to have some kind of a balance where I could um, have something for me outside of the house as well. And so I started volunteering in children's ministry and loved it. And, um, slowly, but, you know, I got a job 10 hours a week or whatever, just helping out. And then as the kids grew, um, more hours, you know, went to that. And until one day, you know, I'm being offered the director of children's ministry position and, um, never did I think that I wanted that position. Um, but I have learned through the years that, you know, obedience is important. And, how cool to look back now and see where god was was guiding me all, all along and um i do love that i get to do this and it's never a job that i even think thought was available for me to be able to do mm. um so so god's plan and purpose for me was so much greater than i could have even imagined for myself
0: wow it seems to me as you're describing this and i'm I'm drawn on some of the things you were saying earlier there's almost a redemptive part of your story like Huge. how you're able to engage in what you're engaging in now is kind of a, a, is a very much a redemptive side to what you experience do you see it that way in your life is that how you
2: I, absolutely there's no other way to see it mm-hmm. um God took what was broken and he's making it beautiful and that is the redemption story. And I, and I feel like not everyone has my story. Not every family has my family's story, but everyone has something. And, you know, my whole thing about today was not to say, you know, why are you so dysfunctional? But to say, you know, we're all dysfunctional to some extent um, because we're human, and there's sin in in the world. Um, but that doesn't disqualify you. Your dysfunction doesn't disqualify you for for God's plan and purpose for your life.
1: Yeah. So in your role, you were at Crosswinds uh, Church in Canandaigua, and now you're here at Browncroft. In your, uh, I want to say you've been doing this, what, 16 years?
2: About. It'll be 16 years in July.
1: In yeah. July. July is a great month. <laughs> Lots of great people born in that month. Um, <laughs> July 16th, if any of you are wondering. But anyways. Hey, uh, that, uh,
0: you, July 16th? Yeah. yeah. That's that's when we got married. So. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a great day. Yeah, it's a great
1: day. Oh my I, goodness. Th-
0: we're just discovering that on this podcast. Everybody, you just <laughs> discovered
1: a major thing right here, right now. We're Mind being... blown. Boom. So yeah. anyways, back to the topic. Here. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's my fault. So as you interact with kids and families and small group leaders. So just for those of you that don't know, you know, the, the strategy that that Browncroft uses for family ministries. Many churches do this is we see adult small group leaders partnering with parents. Parents have the most significant influence, but we know that there is an influence that having other adults, having another tribe in their life, like if all of us are working together. So when you see dysfunction from families nowadays, you know, what are like the top ones that come into your head?
2: Uh, I think um, when I think about parents specifically, I think fear... Is a, you know there's a ton of fear-based parenting which I fall into myself because of what I've been through and what I want to save my kids from and um, you know you just forget that they they it's their job to make mistakes and it's our job to pick them up and you know turn them around um, we'd rather just you know skip over those things um, but there's not a lot of learning in that So I think fear is a is a big you know dysfunction you can call it that. Um, I you know, d- divorce is still even in the church. It's still a top, you know st- stats that I've been told are you know fifty percent of um, evangelicals get divorced. Um, so that is still a huge um thing that we deal with, even you know, within the church. and and what I want to say about that is that. I didn't have someone from the church to walk with me through that. but that is why I love the concept so much of small group leaders for kids because they know their kids, um, you know, especially as they move up with their kids through the years. They know their kids. There's trust built there. Um kids can share what they're going through. And these leaders, no matter what's going on, at home these leaders can love them and show them um the love and faithfulness of Christ no matter what's happening and and so if a child doesn't show up for you know a few weeks to a month to a two months or whatever someone knows mm. and i just i i think you know that's a perfect picture of Christ is that if someone misses you and knows you're not there and loves you enough to, to find out what's going on. Um, You know, I just think that's a gift to kids and to families that I wish I would have had really.
1: You know, John, you can correct me. I saw Dylan doing a cheer. He's actually a small group leader for the juniors. Seniors saved by the bell the new class people um but you know i was just thinking about how often whether it's church and sometimes it's even outside of church like i've never met someone that said i'm in crisis just completely leave me alone like i think that that's kind of the perception like there's people that are going to tell you like if you send me one more baked ZD, like you know my Adkins diet's gonna tell me to stop but like there's at least an appreciate but I do see a lot of like even thinking about you Trisha like hey this person's in crisis I'll just wait or I'll just send the text that says hey when you need something let me know and like let's just be honest you know th- at least four of us here now are twos on the antegram we're not gonna ask for help like and maybe this is a t- but like I just kind of think of this question, like, when you see someone going through dysfunction, it's as if you have to find a healthy way to insert yourself to be there. Mm. Because, I mean, and people will tell you, like, hey, that's too far. But I think people would rather see you, you know, fill their freezer than do nothing at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think healthy is the key word there because some of us want to jump in and solve everything for people. And, you know, that's not our place either. But I think being a calming presence in people's lives, everybody needs that. So um, just a calm sense of, oh, wow, there's someone rooted who's around me. There's someone who's, who's grounded that can just be with me in my pain. I think that's something that we desperately lack today.
2: And, and listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the perfect words. We, like you said, being present and really just listening, um, just being someone who's not going to judge and not going to throw words back in your face and just kind of listen to where you're at.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that. I love that. The idea of listening keeps on coming up. And just so many of the podcasts that we do, that, that concept of listening is so important. Well, maybe if you can just bring yourself back and almost remind yourself of who you were during those teenage years after teenage years, that critical spot in your life, and you know the dysfunction that's around you. Uh, it's really clear to you. How, how if you were to go back and speak to yourself about how God can actually meet you in the midst of that dysfunction, like what he offers you? What would you tell yourself?
2: Yeah, and and you know, I have kids that are coming on these ages too, so I Mm. do think about this. What do I want my kids to know? And really, it's you know, it's the freedom to mess up and the freedom to make mistakes, and to and to know that God is not keeping track Mm. of all of that. Um, He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you he doesn't want your perfection, but he wants your progression um and and that guilt and shame, and i you know i i went i think that's why I had to be the perfect person for all my different groups is because I carried so much guilt and shame about who I was or who I wasn't um guilt and shame have no place in a redeemed life mm-hmm. and um, I really think that God wants to use our stories of dysfunction to tell a bigger story of his redemption and his restoration and how awesome when that happens that we can look back and say you know he can he can turn anything into a purpose.
0: I love that. I love what you just said. That could be the total tagline for this uh, podcast uh, episode right there. God wants to use our dysfunction and turn it around for to show us redemption or something along the lines yeah. of what you, Tweet that you that. just said. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, well, I,
1: yeah. I got one. Um, so one of the just beautiful things about your life is – you know the dysfunction in your life is redeemed but now in turn you're you're there for adults parents and kids who are going through dysfunction right now i'm a 24 year old you know i my you know i know that my family is dysfunctional and i'm kind of wondering is there a place for me at church and i'm you know i'm i'm listening to you and i'm kind of like I'm not a candidate to help somebody like I'm not the candidate to become a big brother, or big sister. I'm not a candidate to maybe even serve at a church, you know, as a small group leader, you know, each and every week and be part of a kid's life. What would you say to me?
2: Well, I would say um, you would do have something to contribute. Um, I think back to my daughter who's 24 and Really, you know, she went through some tough things as a teenager, different from my things. But what a gift that she had two major small group leaders in her life to gift for me, too, as the mom, by the way, um, to be able to walk with her through some of her trials. And and both of those small group leaders were young adults. Um, One was married but had no kids and the other one was not married And didn't have kids. So I don't think um, you have to fit a certain mold to be able to make an impact in the life of a child or a student. Uh, I think, you know, if God's pushing you to do that, then He's going to equip you. And um, it's not about trying to be something you're not, it's about just being who you are and sharing who you are.
0: Wow. That's really, really good. I think about just people also who are listening to this and going, I don't want to replicate the dysfunction that I've experienced. You know, I think all of us at some stage of life, we come face to face with that. Different of us hit it at different times, but there's undoubtedly some people here who are going, man, I, I, I th- just this talk, I know exactly the dysfunction. It just leaps off the top of my head what advice would you give them? Like how to address that? And there's a million different dysfunction, so We won't go into the specifics, but like what advice would you give them?
2: So I, I know I'm repeating some dysfunction in my life even today, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, my kids are not on this podcast, thank goodness. Um, we
1: can schedule them if yeah. you'd like. Let's,
2: let's, <laughs> let's not do that.
1: Yeah, because then I'd have to bring my
0: kids in. And that, anyway, <laughs> let's not go down that road. Says,
1: says the parent of a two-year-old. Yeah, that, yeah. You know.
2: yeah. um, but I do think it's um, self-awareness is huge. Um, and being able to be comfortable enough in your dysfunction to to talk about it. And to have conversations and not to hide it, um, not to try to pretend it doesn't exist. Um, I don't think, I think if we try to hide and try to act and try to pretend, there's no way for forgiveness to happen. And really, for me in my life, um, forgiveness was key in getting past some of those things. Um, I needed to forgive my dad because I was so angry at him for, you know, what we went through. I needed to forgive my mom because she wasn't perfect through every situation. Um, But when you know that you're forgiven, it's so much easier to forgive. And, um, you know, I might not have been able to do it on the spot in the middle of all the emotional trauma, um, but it's key. Forgiveness is key. And if you're not talking about what's happening truthfully, mm-hmm. then there's no way anyone can offer you forgiveness.
1: I really, I really appreciate that because I think we lack awareness. And John, I'd, I'd be curious how this plays out in your life. Like, like I, I think the biggest thing that happened in my family, my sister was seven. And she had cancer and I was, um, I think I was two or three and my brother was nine. And, you know, when you're that young, like I look at what my brother went through. It's hard to explain to a nine year old. Like our focus is on, you know, your sister who has cancer with chemo. And I look back at my parents and I just... I have a tremendous amount of grace for them because you're trying to equally parent all three kids. And my brother would say that, you know, he might, he doesn't listen to this, so I'll just say it and he's going to, but you know, he's a firstborn strong willed and like, I could see how much it affected him. And then even for me at that young age, like my sister having cancer, like I just always felt this need to be needed and to be helpful. And like my parents didn't do anything wrong, so to speak. Like it just kind of happened. And I look at that without me having that awareness, as you're talking about, Trisha. it's very difficult. It would be even more difficult to live the life that God's called me because this big thing happened and our family, everybody went through something and like, and we're not even talking about my sister. Here's a six or seven year old that has cancer. How do you trust the world around you, so to speak? And John, I'm sure you have some similarities to that, you know, in your life.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one of the big struggles in my life, kind of the themes has been loneliness, like feeling alone and you know, I was tracing that back into my family and going, where did some of these roots come from? And a, a few years ago I was talking to my mom about it and she was just describing the time when I was a kid and her having some really severe medical problems that honestly I I don't think I was able to process in that at that time, but it gave me a whole new perspective on what she was going through. And a whole new perspective on my experience through that, which led to me really having this heart for her that I hadn't had before, you know, but, but if she wasn't open with me about that, like you were just talking about Trisha, you know, if we hide those things and we, we don't bring them to the surface, sort of, Hey, this is what I was experiencing during that time. And we don't talk about them. then we're not only robbing ourselves, we're robbing the people in our lives of that opportunity to experience growth too. So uh, I'm thankful that my mom was able to to let me into a little bit of her journey during that part of her life so that I could experience, you know, some healing on a deeper level as well,
1: so. Well, hey, I think that's a good point. Um, we're gonna close with this question. You know, what does Jesus, I'm just gonna go right to it. What does yeah. Jesus say about dysfunctional families, <laughs> you know? So, um, Tricia, you have the good um, opportunity that whatever we mess up, John and I, will, um, you, know, you can clean it up. So anyways, John, you want to go or do you want me to go? Yeah,
0: why not? I'll go. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll dive into the deep end. It's great. Uh, I think, you know, what would Jesus say about this? I think it's just important to know that Jesus can identify with you. If you are part of a dysfunctional family, and we all are at some level, Jesus was part of a dysfunctional family too. And his dad was absent after a certain point of his life. And we don't even know at what point that was or how that happened or what the deal was. But at some point, Jesus' dad wasn't around anymore, sometime after he was 12. And um, there was a constant battle between his brothers and him and his mom and all this weird family dynamic. But Jesus in the middle of all of that, his brothers and mom kind of go into him and saying, hey, let's get this. We think this guy's gone off the deep end here. He looks around at the people around him and he says, hey, let me tell you, who's my mother and my brothers and my sister, these people who are sitting around here right now. And I think Jesus would say that to you if you are, at a place in your life where you just are kind of mourning the dysfunctional family that you have. He invites you into his family, and uh, he is not dysfunctional. Despite the fact that everyone else in your life might be, he is not. And uh, that's a great invitation to take somebody up on. That's where I would start with that.
1: So my daughter and I were reading uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, we read it like every night and I'm going to just tell, I think every adult should read the Jesus storybook Bible. So just we'll throw that out there, but we're reading this section about Jesus welcoming the little children and he's, you know, one of the things I won't, uh, you know, forget is, you know, the author, Sally Lloyd Jones says, don't ever think that you're too big for Jesus. And, I think about that family wise, because there's a moment in our childhood, usually when we real like, whether you call it lose our innocence or something like that. And I think Jesus is bringing us back to the healthy, the non-dysfunction of being a child. And so, you know, in this moment, I'm reading this to my daughter and I'm sitting there and I'm like, my parents did a wonderful job you know, and I hope to improve and I'm looking at her and I'm like, there's ways I'm probably messing her up right now that she's going to tell me maybe someday she's going to start a podcast or whatever it is and start talking about it. But I think the thing that Jesus teaches us is that we're all still little children welcome to him. And when we take the pressure off ourselves, you know, and I think Trish has brought this up so beautifully, like when you just accept dysfunction not to do whatever you want but you just say this is a part of my life how do I move forward I think that that brings you back to this childlike place and I think about that with Jesus I think about that with my daughter and my wife of how just allowing that faith to change you really does that so Tricia close this up
2: Yeah, I just want to say I think it's important um, no matter what age you are to just never buy into the myth that you have to be a certain kind of son or daughter or spouse or sibling um, before God can use you. Mm. I think um, God can use us in our imperfections. Um, I think— when I think about dysfunction in the family, I think Jesus would say, Invite me in. I think he would not be surprised the way some of us are so surprised and we want to keep it hidden. I think he would say, Invite me in um, because I can help and I can, the people around you can have like a front row seat to see my power and my goodness through your dysfunction.
1: Wow. What a place to close. Trisha. We're so glad that you came with us. Um You can, uh, you know, follow Trisha. She's got a Browncroft family on Instagram. And um, just, if you follow the Browncroft feed, you'll see some stuff about some of the things that she's doing. If you want to follow us Make sure you follow us at WGW Podcast for Twitter and Instagram. We are on Facebook. Um, our website is I send If you subscribe, I send a weekly email just to prompt you for listening. And um, as I would say, leave us a five-star review. As John would say, honestly, leave us a five-star review. We'll take whatever we can get. And also, you know, we'd love to just hear from you what you love. Um, So when you uh, do the five star review, write a review, you know, write us three or four sentences about what you love and um, make sure after this is posted, you give Trisha some love. You can share this at hashtag WGW podcast. Thank you so very much. We hope you have a wonderful day.